episode looking at the 2021 Rachel Hayhoe Flint results. We had a bumper weekend to start us off, two rounds of games. And so today we have the women's cricket chat team and the cricketer discussing all things Rachel Hayhoe Flint trophy and looking towards the rest of the season. We had some pretty, pretty good games, if you ask me. We've got Vipers and Sparks both unbeaten and still at the bottom of the table and looking to win a match at some point. We've got the Sunrisers who still haven't quite got that W on the board over two seasons yet. But, you know, there's time. Hannah, do you want to start us off? little look at Saturday and Monday's games. What are your initial thoughts? Yeah, so obviously we had some phenomenal, really entertaining fixtures to kick things off. So if anybody was looking on Twitter, it was absolutely popping. The amount of people who were engaging with the tweets from the teams, but just like constant commentary on what was going on. It was the first time where I've really kind of seen that. And I tweeted out as well, I've come home to Somerset and I walked through the door and my granddad, his first comment to me wasn't, hey, how are you? It was, did you see how the night was in the runs this weekend? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine too. But the fact that he's seeing it and he's hearing about it more is huge as well. So it would have been more exciting if he said, hey, ho, how are you? But, you know, (laughs) let it slide. Yeah, no, definitely. But it's amazing to see all of this buzz and we're only the first week into it. I was keeping an eye on Lightning and I was really impressed with Lucy Hyam. So Lightning, like Sunrisers, haven't put a win on the board yet, but there's some really interesting stories going on there. So Lucy Hyam, she's been out all winter with a concussion injury. She really did rescue the Lightning's innings with, I think it was a 32 against the Vipers. So we had a really tough start against the Vipers and it wasn't looking too good, not going to lie, but they somehow did manage to rebuild with Lucy, but also the Grave Twins too. So Teresa Graves really impressed me and Yvonne did too. So 32 for Teresa, 22 for Yvonne and Kirsty Gordon with four wickets. So she's really fiery at the moment. She's got a point to prove around that England setup. So that was on the Lightning inside obviously they were on the losing side so it wasn't too good but the vipers there tara norris took three wickets and danny white at 53 Paige schofield 38 against there so they've started off their campaign like they did last year unbeaten they're looking pretty good if you ask me the vipers i mean you've got danny wyatt who just comes in you know casual what was it 53 and a 64 you know just as you do you got you got my girl, Taze, Shatete, Charlotte Taylor, whatever you want to call her, still leading wicket taker across the two seasons now. She is really making waves, I think. And obviously you've got Georgia Adams, who's, you know, just keeps it ticking over. The Vipers, if you ask me, are just really looking quite strong. And they are the team to beat this year, and they know that. But I think they're sort of taking that in their stride even more. What do you think? I was in Beckenham on Monday to watch them win and win comfortably against a star side, that especially early this season when they've got all their sort of, I guess when they've got Dunkley and Davidson, Davidson Richards and Brandon Smith and just three players in that top three, you've also got English aspirations. Like against a side you sort of thought might give might cause them a few problems, especially given the rule in form. Obviously Dunkley got 100 on Saturday and Brandon Smith looked in really good touch at Beckenham. Vipers were just far too strong and far too... I almost want to say mature. They're, they're a team of adults, aren't they? But they're only, they've only really got Danny, who's sort of like in the England picture, particularly at the moment. Obviously, sorry, obviously Georgia as well, but Georgia Elvis hasn't played it for, well, in for a couple of years now. 
but just you know even beyond those two like Charlotte Taylor and George Adams as a sort of leader in Carla Rudd and a lot of players who played a lot of cricket it always just felt like they had a bit more experience and a bit more sort of nous as to how they were going going to go with it even from opening up with Charlotte Taylor with the new ball and just sort of the drift and the so almost the swing she gets with the new ball I mean the number of players that were playing her as an off spinner and she said herself she doesn't spin it it was going the other way but it was you know they had a slip in there was a lot of indecision for the batters and basically I mean, after Taylor's first spell that game was over they were 24 for 3 40 off for 4 and they can never really get back in it especially given the depth of of, the, of Vipers batting in the form of obviously of I mean, quite refreshing form of Danny Wyatt as well in 50 over cricket given the the summer we've got ahead they just look like a very good well-oiled side really I thought and Stars looked like a side that almost felt like they knew they wouldn't they couldn't really defend what they'd got I think it was I mean, Beckham was very sunny and it was very the outfield was quite quick the depth looked quite good and they were probably about as many runs light as they got in the end so no impressive from Vipers especially given they know that everyone's out to get them yeah, I think they're sort of reveling in that, though. You know, some people some people might crumble under the pressure, but I think they're just really relishing it, and it's quite nice to see. Yeah, they. I agree. Like, there's no certainly no nerves or anything. I mean, the way I think they chased it down and just over twenty overs, bowled about forty overs. I thought the only thing I had done differently was Charlotte Taylor only bowled eight overs. I mean, the way that she bowled with the new ball, there was a, there was an argument just to bowl ten overs straight through. I found it slightly odd actually to watch the way they batted against Taylor because as we saw in the final last year, obviously we've got the streams now as well, so. There's less sort of mystery about how players perform and I guess what their skill sets are. And anyone that's seen Taylor in the last year or so will know that she doesn't spin the ball. She bowls arm balls and she said herself, she sort of relies on drift. A lot of players playing for spin and being beaten on the outside edge and being caught at slip and not enough ambition, I thought, to hit over the top. I mean, they, they let her bowl, I thought. And as I say, there was probably an argument to let her bowl 10 straight through, but it shows how strong they are that she came back a bit later and took the final, took Tash Farrant's wicket to win the innings and, and took four for 20 on the end. Yeah, exactly. And I actually can't believe we made it this far without talking about the brilliance that was Amy Jones this weekend. Like, you you can't talk about the opening weekend of this tournament without being like, oh my goodness, that was quite something. I was at Headingley for Sparks' game against Diamonds and that was just, it was just a bit of a surreal game really because, I don't know, Diamonds never really looked like they got properly going but they also never looked in danger. I think because no one else was really contributing to the batting around Amy. So I've, every time someone got out a, around her, you were kind of going, oh, well, that's that's it. You know, no one else is going to come in. Well, like Millie Home, you know, went out and then quite quickly it was like, well, she's the last kind of actual batter in the side. And then I feel a little bit sorry for Amy in that game, actually, because her century was great. And then Sarah Glenn just came in and really took everything away. I mean, she was just being a bit of a machine. It was just quite fun to watch Sparks because I, I think they're one of the teams where when they've got their England players, they're absolutely golden. It's just, I think the only concern for me is what happens when their England players go. So I think they, they need to make sure that Amy Jones scores a century every match she's here and then just hope for the best when she goes away. It's like trying to get your money's worth. Okay, right, you're in for this long. You need to stay in, go the runs. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you can go off and play for your country. But right now you're a spark and sparks have got to fly. I agree with what Elizabeth says there about certainly the what happens when they all go away on England duty. I mean, actually, that might be where Sunrise benefits slightly in that they've probably, not a criticism of, of Maddie Villiers or Fran Wilson, but in terms of sort of the real big guns, I mean, that if you look at some of the England players that are lining up at some of the other regions, they probably don't necessarily have that sort of I guess that's sort of really established England play. You've got Fran who's on sort of fringes that back line up. Obviously, Maddie who's probably sort of the third spinner in that squad at the moment. That might mean that when the England players go off to the test squad, for example, they, you know, one or both of them might even sort of stay with Sunrise and they might still have perhaps a bit more depth than, than some of the other teams in that regard. Whereas at the moment, it, it does feel like they're slightly short, not just with the England players, but sort of in terms of experience all round. Whereas 
I think one of the things you see in the opening week, opening weekend, speaking to her the night at the Oval yesterday, was she spoke very obviously and she was delighted with how the England Bears had gone with, you know, with bat as much with balls. I mean, Andy Shrubs holds 60-odd, Sarah Glenn 70-odd, even Kate Cross getting 40-odd. I mean, we've seen a real dominance, haven't we, from, from those England Bears, as we'd expect. But it'll be interesting to see what happens at a lot of those teams, and especially Sparks. I think Amy Jones getting to, what, 160 out of 290. Like, when you take those runs out of teams, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, how things change. But it'll be interesting to see what happens in a couple of weeks' time when most England squad are lining up at, at Bristol against India and you've got only a couple of them, I guess, remaining and, and maybe, you know, maybe then seeing what, what happens and how the strength and depth from, from different regions lies out then. Something that is really nice to see that these England girls really are showing their class at this domestic level and then they come into, you know, quite a moment for England, you know, test match against India at Bristol. That's quite a big thing. So for them, it's nice to have that off the back of that. A lot of them have been really performing, so they're going into it quite confident, a lot of these players, you know, there's been a lot of talk about professionalisation domestically. This has been the first winter for a lot of these players as full-time professional cricketers. Whereas if you take Anya, for example, who was part of the first batch of England pros back in, what, seven years ago now, I mean, they've they've had the consistency of hitting balls and bowling balls and, you know, to a level that, that the others haven't. So you, you would like to think they would still be rocking up and, and dominating. It's just been, it has been interesting to see though, hasn't it? The, you know, Anya, especially Anya's knock, that sort of match winning knock down, down the order. Quite refreshing, I guess, for Heather, for Heather Knight to, to know that she has got that depth in her order when they, when they do step out as an England team as well. The other name as well, which you didn't quite mention, is Sarah Glenn with her unbeaten 71 off 52, which was the match that you saw, Elizabeth. So what was it like? Amy Jones in that match as well hit 114 and it was backed up by Glennie, who hasn't been known so much for her batting, although people do know that she's a quality bat, but not in that context, perhaps. I mean, there are only three of us in the press box, but one of them, as Sarah Glenn came out, said she's either going to smash it or she's going to get straight out. And... She smashed the first one and then just kind of kept smashing it. And a couple of the sixes were absolutely giants as well. I don't actually remember very much about her innings just because we spent most of it sitting there kind of calculating whether they were going to pull it off or not and whether we needed to drastically rewrite everything. I'm quite oblivious to what actually happened there. I think it was just lots of umpires waving their arms and, you know, suddenly Sarah Glenn looking rather good. It would be quite valuable after Glenn because... Well, she opened the, she'd opened the bat in the KSL a bit, hadn't she, a few years ago. There was a lot of talk about her all-round sort of abilities when she came into the England side. And Lisa Carty's spoken a lot about how clean she hits the ball. And she's been posted up the order a couple of times in England colours because of clearly England's sort of insistence that, that she can do that. And Sophie Eccleston as well. So for her to be able, I guess, to have the, conf- I guess the confidence she'll gain from doing that, winning a game at regional level, whacking 70-odd, knowing that she can do it. Obviously, it's a step up at the international game. But I think knowing that you can do it is, part, is sort of 90% of it, isn't it? you know, maybe when you're going to do that and push her up the order next, then then perhaps she's sort of in a better headspace. Yeah, I guess it is really. But also, we've got to acknowledge that her 71 from 52 came against the Diamonds. You scored a pretty hefty 279. Obviously, in there, you've got your Lauren Winfred Hill scoring 110. So you would look at that and be like, you know what, we're really in with a chance here for the Diamonds. And then that happens. And still anyone's game. What do you think, Alex? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that like so far the weekend's just been very difficult to kind of pick who you think was going to win because you you could say for instance oh sunrise is going to win and then Sophia Duncan hits what 104 off 93 balls which is great for her because especially she's pushing for that England spot and also Bryony Smith who's also had a little bit of a taste with England She's becoming more and more consistent at the top, not just with her batting, though, as well with her bowling. She's taken five wickets already in the tournament, so it puts her in good stead. But I think it's too early to call who's the favourites. Yes, Vipers are currently looking like the favourites, but I think we need to see them against other teams to see 
whether they're still, you know, going to be the ones who are back-to-back champions. And that is what's going to be massive this weekend because we've got Vipers v Sparks and that's going to be mega. So quite excited by that one, can you tell? Anyway, I digress. So yeah, looking at the Diamonds, runners-up last year, but this year, you know, one win, one loss. Not bad. You know, it's 50-50 at the moment, still only been two games. What do we think they're looking like for the next few games? I mean, they're looking good, but we do also have to bear in mind their match against Lightning was very, very close. They won by, what, six runs? So it's very close. But it's going to take time to see whether they're going to hit that peak form and whether or not they can handle the pressures of the tournament without their big gun England players. What do you think about that match, though? Because it was one of the lower scoring fixtures and it was played at a club ground, not one of the first class grounds that the other matches were. So I didn't know if that came into play with... I don't know about you guys, but I bloody love a low scoring game. You know, you can keep your 300 whatevers, you know, when it comes to a 50 overs, you can keep your 400s. Give me a, a really, really tight 180 and I am here all day for it. I think it's hard one with that specific game, though, isn't it? I mean, because Elizabeth was at Chester Bolton Hall and there were, what, 450 runs scored, I want to say. So it might the pitch might not have been up to much. And I guess one of the things that we has been discussed a lot, isn't it, was the benefits of playing last year solely at first-class grounds. And so far this year, mostly at first-class grounds, that you end up with better pitches and, and more runs and more carry and a better spectacle. And But at the same time, you've got Catherine Brandt running in. So there are two decent attacks in that game. The other thing with Diamonds, obviously, they haven't got to the final last year. I think they do know how to win. So it would probably be weirder if every single game up until now had been, you know, 250 plays, 260, that kind of thing. So I wouldn't read too much into a one-off. But, but as you say, I think one of the, I mean, it is worth bearing in mind, as you say, that that, that was played at a club ground. One of the things that was so great about last year was that we did sort of not have that. <laughs> it also goes to show that you don't, like Nick said, you don't need a big score to make a match entertaining. Look at the 2017 Women's World Cup final. Look at the 2019 Men's World Cup final. They weren't particularly high-scoring games, but they had the entertainment and they drew people in. So it's not always about going big and going home. Sometimes it's about working with what you've got and getting the best out of that. Totally agree with you on there, Alex. Love that. Work with what you've got and get the best. And that's going to be a similar kind of thing. Obviously, when all the England players go from certain sides, you've got to work with what you've got and you get your best from that. It's not like they're, you know, your, your village beer-bellied men playing. You've still got some top-quality players in your sides. Just because they're not playing international doesn't mean they're not incredible. Do you feel having the Diamonds, actually, is the benefit of experience as well, isn't it? Jenny Gunn, I mean, ultimately probably played a bit of a match-winning hand there. Probably looked pretty... I would, I wasn't there, but I guess, having read the scorecard, probably didn't look very very glamorous. But actually, the, the value of having someone that's played a lot of top-level cricket and I guess, a bit, I guess a bit older than some of her teammates, and but sort of batting in that middle order and sort of shepherding them towards something that was defendable for a position of considerable difficulty I guess does show that and go back to Sunrise I think that is I spoke to Trevor Griffin before the competition one thing that he said is they've got they don't they don't have that sort of adult figure you know who's coming towards the end of their career who you can sort of guide the younger players through those tougher moments and I think that I think that not from Jenny Gunn did probably show the benefit of of having a couple of players like that who can do that sort of you, you basically just carry calmness about them when the going gets tough I think let's move on from calling them the adult Maybe the veteran, you know, the more experienced. I see. See, I always thought adult was nice and veteran. Veteran to me sounds quite sort of Jenny Gunn, you know, like wandering around, mother hen with her little chicks following her, and like you know, 
She's not old. She's absolutely crushing it still, isn't she? Adult developmentally rather than age-wise. I'm talking, you know, that I'd, I would be surprised if anyone in the competition has played as much cricket as Jenny Gunn has. Oh, and yeah. Benef- now, now you just keep digging, Nick. Just keep digging. I think... Not- we're saying Granny Gunn on you next. <laughs> I reckon Jenny's teammates would agree. We'll have to ask. We'll have to ask her. We'll get on to Jenny Gunn and be like, how do you feel about being called the adult of the group? Okay, so not going to lie, as is always the case... We seem to have gone quite batting heavy, but let's have a look and celebrate some of our wonderful bowlers because there has been some pretty nice figures going along there. Okay, so I'm going to bring up Izzy Wong, who is an adult. She's 19. That makes her an adult, Nick. You know, just not quite a veteran age to adult. But okay, so we had a nice five for 49 for her there versus the Diamonds. And like, she is going to be such a star of the future that you just can't ignore her. And we've spoken to her mum before and mega passionate, you know, Izzy Wong, let's have a little let's have a little moment to talk about that. Nice performance there, Hannah. What do you think? Well, I was going to pass it straight across to Elizabeth because I, I, what is it? The it's not the curse of the writer because it's the complete opposite. You kind of wrote the success story there, didn't you? Already, you did an interview with her and one of the other players. So, Elizabeth, tell us a little bit more. Crystal ball gazing, Elizabeth. Yeah, I've taught her everything she knows about fast bowling, so I'm always available for consulting. No, she was really good, and I think. She said that last season, the biggest thing she found wasn't really the performances, but it was how she kind of matured as a player. And I think you could really see that uh, against Diamonds even because she got hit for a couple of boundaries, I think, early on. And I think in the past, she might have just kind of crumpled a bit and I think gone a bit in on herself and not really contributed. But her her first kind of seven over spell, I think her and Emma Arlott had pretty much identical figures. And she got a wicket in there and got rid of Holly Armitage, I think. And then... When she came back on later on, yeah, she really kind of swept up the tail quite nicely. And it was just, it was quite a tidy little performance. And I think she was just so happy to get it. I mean, I, like I said in the article I did about it, I didn't even see the catch that Sarah Glenn took to kind of, to get a five for. I was just kind of watching Izzy to see what she'd actually do. And she went slightly mental, which was cute to see. And I, I think her mum and dad were in the, in the crowd at Headingley. So I, I presume they probably went mental as well, which would have been nice. Yeah, and obviously you say that catch, and you can't ignore, there was some pretty good fielding this weekend. And in the past, you've had people be like, oh, women's fielding. And I'm so not here for that. Looking at some of that, these these girls are phenomenal athletes. They're taking these catches. They are getting these runouts. We haven't seen any of those phenomenal ones yet, but I see them coming, you know. And that shows just how far the game has come over the last five, 10, however many years, even just looking at the fielding developments. I think it was a bit of a, a mixed bag at, at Headingley. There were moments of absolute brilliance, like Jenny Gunn really rolled back the years and took, and she was like running backwards, dived, caught it one-handed. It was the second best catch I've seen live at Headingley, which I know is niche, but, you know, it's a it's an award in itself. But then there were other moments where you could kind of tell it was the first game of the season and there were moments where people, I don't know whether they just weren't paying attention or they were just, you know, yeah, a little bit rusty because it was the first game back where I, I know they'll probably have been kicking themselves afterwards for, you know, letting something slip through to the boundary. Yeah, it happens. You know, we move on and rust can be brushed off and we've got another bunch of games. Okay, how have we got this far once again? Without discussing that last ball in that Storm game the other day, like, can we just can we just bring that one up, please? I have to admit I did miss that. I saw all over Twitter, but I can't really comment too much because I wasn't really following that one. I didn't see the last ball, but I see the last... That last, that 10th week in partnership is, you don't win many games from there. I mean, I, I mentioned Daniel's batting earlier and the value 
that certainly that Heather Knight talks about in seeing players like Andy go well. Obviously, Heather got runs as well, but you don't win many games from there, do you? And that, that, I guess that kind of winning a game like that, especially early season, when you're when you're 240 off for nine, five overs to go, and you're thinking, you know, we could be, you know, we could lose the first game of the season here. And then, you, you know, I guess sort of you lose whatever momentum you think you've picked up in pre-season. To win that game after, a, you know, a decent winter and you know having a squad together and everything yeah, I, I guess that could do I mean you'd have to go inside the camp to know for sure but I, you'd guess that that would that'd be massive for team going forward wouldn't it sort of the, the belief you get from, from winning a game you shouldn't win I think is you know what needing 10 and over with one wicket in hand is is always going to sort of pick you up as a team isn't it so and also especially against a side with you know with a pretty decent attack as well if you've got 30 overs being bowled by Cross, Hartley, Eccleston then obviously Pippa Cleary as well you know that's that's a very that's a very good win however you do it but to do it in that in those circumstances is, is the kind that you'd think could sort of really drag your team on for you know momentum wise for the, for the coming weeks um obviously we've got all eight franchises in here and the final one that we haven't really covered enough yet is the thunder and looking at thunder we had a pretty mighty fine innings from MLM, 121 from 105, so that's been quite nice. And like Thunder, they're on one from one at the moment. What are our thoughts on our friends from the north? Yeah, I think, well, on Saturday, they they lost a game they should never have lost. And I think it was probably quite a big wake-up call for them. So, yeah, even though MLM did great, the new Australian signing, Pippa Cleary, yes. Um, she, she played really well as well on kind of her... Thunder debut and I think a lot of them were carrying quite good form in from the women's county stuff so then to kind of to lose that game I think was yeah quite a reality check for them and kind of showed that they still had work to do and then at Chester on Monday um, again it was another it was a I think on paper it looks like quite an easy win for them but kind of when they were batting uh, Georgie Boyce was incredible it was probably the least showy 90 odd that I've ever seen anyone score you kind of forgot that she was still batting for quite a lot of it and then you kind of glance up at the scoreboard and be like oh god Georgie's still in aside from her and Kate Cross coming in and bulldozing around a bit it just didn't look that fluid and it kind of it always seemed like the score they'd got might be a little bit low and then when Fran Wilson really got into it for Sunrisers I think about halfway through they were ahead of kind of like the score and the run rate and it was beginning to look a bit, little bit like sweet bum time for them and Alex had been hit for 18 off her first two overs so she wasn't too chipper either and then yeah it was bringing kind of Sophie Eccleston into bowl and her just clearly not having time for sunrises to mess them about took a wicket and suddenly it kind of sparked a bit of a revival for them. She's just yeah. so good, isn't she? Uh, you just, yeah. so often, you talk about a game and then something's like, oh yeah, and then Sophie Eccleston just bloody crushed it. She's just game-changing. It's an inspired that. captaincy to bring on the best bowler in the world. I mean, you know what? If you've got her, use her. Got it. <laughs> no, absolutely. No. She's there. Chuck her in. Why not? Which is why I was so surprised that she went around the park a bit in the first game. She went three for 60-odd in the first game, which is so... It's, it's just weird, isn't it, to see her not bowling 10 overs for 25. Before the wicket that she took, she hadn't actually been that kind of present in the game. I think she had bowled a couple of overs before that, but they hadn't been... Yeah, they hadn't been the usual kind of miserly bowling where she just kind of shuts the door on the batters. It was quite odd to watch, but then, yeah, it was, it was just suddenly her wicket, kind of everyone perked up a bit. Then a couple of overs later, Alex got one, so... She was happy again, and they ended up getting the result they wanted. I think they probably found the first two matches a lot tougher than they were expecting to, and I think it'll have been quite a useful learning experience for them. 
It must be weird if you're Alex Hartley captaining aside with herself and Anne Eccleston in it, because I guess it must be very tempting just to bowl 20 overs left arm spin straight through them. You know, don't change anything. Sophie will do her thing. Alex will do her thing. But actually, because of how good Sophie is, Alex can almost afford to bowl herself, you know, sort of 10 through and then just bring Sophie in as and when they need a wicket and almost just save her for the most important parts of the game. It must be a nice problem to have. And they've got Hannah Jones as well, obviously. They've got three left-arm spinners, plus Emma Lamb involves a spin as well. And as you say, it's, it's strange that they've, had, they've been involved in pretty close games because they've got a really good-looking bowling attack. And on that topic, Alex Hartley needs to have more confidence in herself in that. She doesn't just have to bring on Sophie Eccleston because she herself is a mighty fine bowler. It just wasn't clicking for her, I think, the first two overs. I think just because... When she brought herself on, Fran Wilson was very much in a, when I, if you, if it's like slightly off your line, Fran Wilson was sending it. And I think she just, she got sent for a couple in quick succession. I think it was kind of that combined with the batting being a little bit off and kind of looking at the score and realising that Sunrisers were ahead. And given that Sunrisers have never won a match, it's probably very demoralising to look at the scoreboard and see that they're ahead of you. So, yeah, I think... I think they were just kind of heads were quite down. And I think if Sophie hadn't taken a wicket when she had, it could have got away from Thunder and they might not have been able to claw it back. I think they'll be glad they managed to claw that one back, but they'll have to be quite careful for the rest of the season not to not to kind of let their heads go down and kind of lose confidence in themselves just because a couple of overs have gone around. Yeah, so this weekend we've got... So Thunder are taking part in what I'm going to call the Bohemian Rhapsody game. We've got Thunder and Lightning. Very, very frightening. We've got the Southeast Stars versus the Storm. We've got Sunrises and the Diamonds. And then we've got the battle at the top of the table, the Vipers and the Sparks. Which game have you each got your eye on? Because not going to lie, Thunderbolts and Lightning, very, very frightening, really got me going already. And they haven't even started yet. I just want to be able to sing Galileo. Yeah, I'm with you on that one because, not just because of a song, but because it is going to be a really interesting matchup. Obviously, last year, Lightning did get to face Thunder in that North group and they unfortunately didn't get the wins over them. So they'll have a little bit of revenge about them, perhaps. It'll be interesting to see those matchups. Obviously, Catherine Bryce and Kirsty Gordon both have taken four wickets each so far in respective matches. Obviously, they've done more of that in the combined two matches that they've played. But pairing them up against the um, Thunder batters, it'll be really interesting to see how it goes. I like the look of um, Vipers v Sparks. It's an interesting game. Obviously, Amy Jones in... Prime Nick. But Heather Knight spoke very, very highly of Izzy Wong and also Emily Arlott and how they both bowled against Western Storm last week or on Monday, was it? So you've got a very good attack there. And obviously you've got um, that sort of much vaunted top order at Vipers as well with Wyatt, Adams, Boucher, Elwis. It'll be interesting to see how that, see how that plays out really, I guess, won't it? Because until someone stops Vipers, that they will still, you know, they'll still be in a position when they've won every single game in the competition's history. So we've talked a bit about Sunrise not having won a game yet, but Vipers have done obviously the polar opposite and sort of only know how to win. So the test of, of those two those two seamers and then I guess getting Amy Jones out seems to be the, the big challenge at the moment. And then they've got a top order that's not really fired yet, but Marie Kelly, who else have they got there? Eve Jones as well. Like a very good experienced set of batters there and if they can sort of fire around Amy Jones they as we said earlier about obviously as long as they've got Amy they'll be a real good side but with Amy obviously going off with England soon the sooner they can sort of locate their form around her the, the, the better as well the match that I'm looking forward to is Stars versus Storm I want to see whether we're going to get Tash Farron with another Pfeiffer 
because then she'll almost be on her way to overtaking her wicket haul from last year, which I believe was 11. Interested to see whether Dunkley's going to hit another century and Brownie Smith's good form. And it looks like it's going to be a good matchup as well. Looks like my eyes will be on Diamonds then. But I think a matchup against Sunrisers couldn't have come at a better time for Diamonds. I think it'll it's a game they will expect to win. It'll be a game that Sunrisers probably won't be looking forward to as much because I think with Diamonds being probably quite wound up after their previous two matches, they may come out and just absolutely blitz them out of the park. And I think all it'll take is, you know, more than one Diamonds player to have a good game. Like if Winfield Hill and Sibber or Callis or someone decide they're both in the mood for it, I think it, it has the potential to get quite messy. And it could be a real kind of tipping point in Diamonds' season this so it looks like quite an exciting matchup to come this weekend. We've got a few exciting games. Obviously, everything is still being streamed online. And actually, I was looking at Lightning's figures the other day from just their online stream, just the Lightning one. And they had over 130,000 views and there was a peak of 3.5k at one point. So people are watching and it's not just across Twitter. Everyone's watching them all and it's mega exciting also the international series that we've got coming up this summer as well i saw hypercourst on twitter who if you're in the cricket world you surely would be following him he put a few names out there like who's going to be filling the england spots as well will we see some call-ups from the rachel hey flynn into the england side which i really hope so because now's the time to do it isn't it yeah and you've got all these top class players playing against each other and it's literally just the best way to show showcase the class that we've got in this country and beyond I think also a couple of the England players you might have said were on the fringes of that that squad. Someone like Long Winfield Hill, who I guess without this tournament might not have you know sort of found herself in that side. It's obviously a situation now where she could play herself into the into the reckoning top of the order. And there'll be a question about you know whether they try and squeeze Danny Wyatt in for sort of her. Obviously she's been bowling a bit in, in the competition, which gives them that, that extra spin option, but also also gives them that sort of counter attacking potential if they want one down at number seven. Sarah Glenn is an interesting one. I mean, I I would pick her. I'd like to think she will get picked. Played virtually every game in such cricket she's been available for since she since she made her debut. But whether they want to go with a leg spinner or see it differently, who knows? I mean, George Railwitz, I think, has played in England's last three tests. So there are players that, you know, you might not necessarily, I don't know, think would sort of be in contention who may well find themselves being talked about when, when Heather and Lisa Carty sit down. I mean, it must be a very hard squad to pick, isn't it? I mean, when you're trying to pick a squad for a format that effectively not played for two years, you know, what are you... I mean, I asked her actually on at the Oval what, what you how you pick your squad, what you're looking for. And I think Heather said that it's sort of four, it's obviously form and it's predominantly going to be 50 over form, isn't it? You can only take so much from a from a rained off draw against, at Taunton against Australia a couple of years ago, really. So um, that'll be interesting over the next couple of weeks to, to keep an eye on. I think the squad will come in, in I guess, this week because the, the game's in a fortnight's time, isn't it? Yeah, basically, we're just completely spoiled with how much cricket there is to come, which is mega. We've got domestic, we've got internationals, we've got tests, ODI, 50s. And then the 100. So, and then looking ahead to the Ashes, you know, just a little bit in the distance. But this is just the beginning of what is going to be an absolute mega summer of women's cricket. That feels like a very nice place to, to end it there. Yeah. So don't forget to all tune in to the games this weekend. Follow us all on Twitter. Follow the Cricketer. Follow Women's Cricket Chat. Slide into those DMs. Get engaging. And let's just keep shouting about the women's game. Because if the first weekend is anything to go by, it's... It's only going to get more exciting. And to all our listeners, if you want to keep up to date with everything we're doing, you can follow us on Twitter at WCricketChat and on Instagram at Women's Cricket Chat. And if you want to give us a like on Facebook, we are Women's Cricket Chat. 
And if you wanted to give our personal Twitters a follow, Hannah is at HannahT1194 and I'm at Alex Jane Pereira. This has been Women's Cricket Chat. Tune in next time. Thank you.